All right, welcome back. Episode 28 of the Young Old Heads podcast. Shout out Buster Posey. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards. I'm here. My good friend and co-host, just us this week, Max, aka Cards Max. Max, how you doing, dude? I'm doing great. Yeah, we had a couple good guests the last couple weeks. Make sure to check out those episodes, but it's just us. We're going to just catch up, see see what we've been up to. I know we haven't had a lot of time for some uh, Cards Max catch up lately, so... I'm excited to hear what you've been up to. I saw some bulk buying at card shows the last couple of weeks. You've been up, you've been all over the place, Max. Can you maybe fill in the people the last few weekends, what you've been doing, what you've gotten yourself into a little bit? Yeah, sure. Predominantly, I've just been doing the usual of going to local shows and sometimes local stores. I've been buying and selling stuff on eBay. I've been trying to find the holes and niches. I've been enjoying basketball and baseball directly in terms of how we see that in relation to cards. And it's a good time for cards. Yeah, it's fun. I've been uh, messing around a little bit with selling cards on eBay. I haven't really told you this, so I'm going to get your live reaction here. I've been decided in the interest of liquidating some of cards that have just been sitting in my closet for a long time, not cards that I want to keep in my collection. I decided to do some seven day auctions on eBay with my account, even though I don't have a ton of seller feedback, but this was just purely Tommy being bored, wanting even whatever amount of money these cards get me is good. So I won't be concerned, but we're doing some seven day auctions just to stir the pot a little bit. Max, what are your thoughts as a seller, I, we haven't really checked in on Max's eBay selling theories in a little bit. So I feel like that's a good place to start. Yeah, I am definitely a man of controversy. And that doesn't get separated with my philosophies with eBay and eBay selling. Uh, I guess first question, what time did you list the items at? What day did he list the items at? And did you think that spending 10 cents to schedule your auction at a certain time is worthwhile? Um. I listed all my auctions at after 5 p.m. Central Time, so they will be ending relatively in the evening, wherever. Um, the days were kind of sporadic; did not really, did not schedule anything, did not um, do much SEO research into which days are best. But my thought process was list at night, just because that's what I see generally, or like in the evening, and. Don't pay to promote because the way I use eBay, and I think a lot of people use eBay this way, is they do auctions ending soonest with a name or a card. So as long as my titles were good or like accurate, I think that I'll get the eyeballs at the very least at the end, especially since I did 99 cent auctions, which are always fun to mess around with. But that was my theory or like that was my thought process. What are your thoughts? My thought process is that I have thoughts on your thought process. I think evening's good. I think really any day is good. I mean, some people are pro Friday because it's a day that not everyone's focused about going to work the next day, but some people are anti Friday because it's a lot of people going out Monday for whatever reason. And Sunday are like universally accepted strong days. Couldn't tell you why uh, that's all theory. Um, I do think optimizing titles and good pictures, which I don't mean to chastise you, your pictures aren't good sometimes. And I think that's half the key into getting, making sure that your item at least reaches part of market value. Out of curiosity, what are you doing with the Jordan Spieth green, Topps Chrome? 
Jordan Spieth Green is still on eBay four fifty by now. Uh, my thought process with that card is that I do not mind holding it because I'm of the opinion that there's a good shot he f- gets the career Grand Slam, which would he would have to win the Masters or not the Masters. I forget which one. Maybe the I don't know why I'm tripping on which one he's missing, but there's like only five or six guys in the history of golf who won the career Grand Slam. So if he gets that, he just needs one more. That's a very huge thing and would make him a very good long-term hold. And I'm already pretty, I'm already of the opinion that Spieth is a long-term hold for golf anyway. So that card is not something that I would ever 99 cent auction unless he did win maybe, but even then that almost makes it less likely that I sell it. That card is just kind of a fun one to have. Honestly, I just like having it up there on my eBay just to make me a little more legitimate that I'm not only selling like 20 to $30 cards. No, I approve of the card. It's a great card. I think you have a good mindset with the card, especially considering that enjoying it is primary and other ulterior motives are ulterior motives are secondary and tertiary. I think with the lower end stuff, there's naturally more volatility, especially the more niche you get. Like if I, I auction a Tom Brady Topps Crow Mini 2015 Blue Diamonds Parallel, and half of the people that want it aren't looking for an auction of that, and it's not a crazy parallel, but it's still rare, then odds are you're going to end lower than your more recent buy it now or best offer accepted listing. But on the converse, if you're doing Devin Booker Prism PSA 10s, which is my favorite example for every card right now, I got it's gonna, a, uh, it's going to end S- at 200 bucks no matter what, pretty much. Yeah, I got an SGA Optic Shock Raw that I posted 99 cent auction just because he's had a hot start to the year that card is probably worth 10 bucks anyway so it's not that big of a deal but really maybe I, I sold a psa 9 of that for like 65 dollars i think yeah that's why like it could go anywhere between 10 and 40 dollars i figure my odds of getting above the lowest comp as of someone on ebay who doesn't sell a ton are low if I do a buy it now, but they're pretty decent if I do a 99 cent auction, get a few bidders going out against each other. He has a big game. I am auctioning like a base Steph rookie card that I am in the know that I will find another one of these in the future when I have a little bit more uh, flexibility with my finances. So I'm just going to auction it off, get as much money as I can get back on it. And I did buy a few cards, so they're more like, just continuing to pay off my spending as opposed to trying to make profit, you know? Yes. I will say, incidentally, I had a 2.10 a.m. buy last night from former guest in the pod, Playboy Cards. I was snooping on his eBay. Uh, he has his eBay page in his Twitter bio. And I'm, you know, I'm just snooping around his page. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool SGA card. That's a cool Shy Gogus Alexander card. I didn't see he posted it on Twitter yet, and I just went into his DMs. I'm like, "What's the friends and family price on this for? You know, no fees or anything." And he's like, "185," and I'm like, "Sold!" Like, Damn. bought it, transacted, gonna come into my way starting Monday. And I just thought that was fun, given that SGA is a fun player, and that oh, I might as well buy from someone that I know. Yeah. Shout out Max's dog. Shout out SGA. Shout out Ryan Playboy Cards. He's great former guest make sure to check that episode out if you've only recently started listening he has a really cool experience in the hobby and does cool stuff uh, we have such but, a strong list of guests we have such an oh, awesome yeah. of guests we have the the hobby 
young old heads avengers suit up situation with our guests well at some point we'll have to do some some sort of like hall of fame thing that someone gets if they come on as a guest that is a little more formal so that they can flex it a little bit like a check mark or something by their yeah by their at maybe something like that oh but yeah eight dollars you a had month. <laughs> eight dollars a month you had a you haven't even touched on your biggest ebay selling tweet of the week or your thought of the week which I want to get your thoughts on, um, which is as someone who you list a lot of cards on eBay, you do strictly buy it now, no best offers accepted. I want to hear just like, give me your two cents on that, why you do that, and like kind of the pushback you got from people on the timeline with that take this week. I want to say, so I'm actually looking at my eBay stuff right now. I think I have like 550, 560 or so total listings on my eBay page. And I'm looking that I have 14 total cards with best offer enabled. So it's not never, but it is very, very rare. And I think the entire purpose of that is that if someone still wants a card, then they're still going to make an offer on it. And I want to be able to like entertain those offers. And usually my sticker price on eBay is within 10% of my lowest or 10, 20%. So usually if someone is, adamant enough to want a message about the card you can either refer them to your social media just out of wanting to promote your brand of course when canad or just get the deal done in that message and maybe just do 10 percent a little cheaper i generally know what my margins are for cards i know people that do buy two billion cards in a day don't care and they just want to get market value and they just want to get it sold but i think in my opinion and this is opinion based I wish there were concrete, peer-reviewed, PhD-level studies on market behavior and buying. Tommy, I know you have an econ background, but please just do a dissertation all on trading card buying on eBay. But I think if someone is going to message you and has strong interest in the card, they're going to make their, their best offer because they think that you're firm. They don't know that I have some flexibility. They don't know yeah. that I'd go lower on a card show if it were in person. It's just, and it's also, I'm within the right to say no as well. It's not like, oh, well, I'm offering 90% of your ask. Why do you even have offers enabled? No, my offers are disabled. Yeah, I, I get where you come from on this. I think it, you are reliant a little bit on people, on knowing that there are dudes on eBay out there who are very experienced eBay users who know that they can reach out to you and possibly get 10% off the sticker price if even if you don't have offers enabled. I think Maybe that that's... 20. I don't know. Yeah. It's just that's, a number, that, man. That's eBay buying 201, 301 level, I would say. I don't think that even like the average person... I also think that you, as a buy it now, if someone watches it, you still have the ability to send them an offer if they watch yes. it. As a buyer, I'm all... Like, if I, as a buyer, if I see a buy it now of a card that I want, but the price is a little too high. I'm like, I'll watch it. Maybe they'll send me an offer. I think that's also another aspect of it that you didn't mention, but is do you use that as a seller? Do you send offers to people who are watching your cards often? I should. I don't do it nearly as much as I should. If I send an offer, sometimes it's out of desperation and it's just because I want to like get the, get the pot stirred. There's different aspects of whether you should be doing this for I think anything that's like four figures, just throw or best offer on it, unless it's like below market value. My thinking is that both on the large and small scale, it's more practical and to your benefit to have something at 
a thousand dollar buy it now rather than 1250 or best offer or to even have something at ten dollar buy it now instead of 1250 or best offer especially with the lower end i think if someone wants a card they're just going to buy it unless it's something like that's relatively always moving like PSA 10 base rookies of a popular player. Usually if the person wants, especially sub $20, if the person wants the card long enough, do you even, are they even going to go through the 24 hour back and forth just to get a $5 card? Or are they just going to hit buy it now? If you present the offer of them getting it cheaper, maybe they won't press buy it now. But if you're just at buy it now and you seem non-negotiable, there's several times even myself where I see a cool card, I see it's at buy it now, or even I see it's at our best offer and I recognize I'm going to get it maybe three bucks cheaper or $5 cheaper. I'll just slam bin. I'll get it guaranteed to me and that someone else isn't going to swoop in and take it. And I get the instant gratification, which in our dopamine fried generation and world is something to factor. We are all about dopamine. I think we do a good job on this podcast of keeping our content very evergreen. Like someone could listen to this pretty much whenever and get a good idea of how you you think about selling cards on eBay. If they were thinking about selling cards on eBay, they would be able to take in what you're saying, what I'm saying, make their own judgments. But there has been a lot of the skies falling with the economy, crypto's dying. Uh, have you noticed just anecdotally your own sales? Have you been seeing higher volume lower volume of sales in any particular range of card value or you've been seeing pretty much status quo on your end i think the biggest thing is that your the amount of sales you have is directly proportional to the amount of listings that you have and ergo the amount of listings that you can get per day or per week or in a given time frame i have been a little bit i'd say up until the past few weeks i've been a little bit slower on getting listings i noticed that i went 10 days without getting any listings up and i'm like oh that's kind of slow for me and i try to get 50 to 100 ish cards uploaded in a batch um it's just anecdotally it's been a slower week or two but i think i don't think that has to do with the market in addition i guess when you are listing items on ebay like if you upload like 50 or 75 items like Sometimes you just get items bought in like an hour after you upload. And that just makes you feel like a huge giga genius. Yes. Pardon my language, but a huge giga genius. And it makes you feel like, wow, that $1 pickup at the dollar bin, that was great by me. And I priced it right. And I found a buyer immediately. Yeah, that's a win. I also love, I've had a lot of fun this week with like two bidders going up to like $10, $15 on a card right away is always fun. Yeah. And it's like a $20, I love $30 the- card. I love the release of getting a new bidder. Yeah, that's a great... And speaking of dopamine, that's great. Um, Also speaking of dopamine, speaking of a little bit of something that we've never... We haven't talked about too deeply on the podcast, but I work for this technology company, Ludex, this week. Take a shot. this, This week is a big week for Ludex because we put out a free version of the app where you can scan up to 200 cards a month, add 60 of them to your collection, mess around with the app a little bit totally for free forever so that's very exciting if you are a listener of this podcast and you've been kind of holding out on checking out ludex because of the membership now it's free go check it out see if it's you know let me know if you see any holes in our in our checklist or anything i can help make make sure we get all your cards on there and uh, i just wanted to give a quick shout out max to that since it's the first week of that what are your i don't know if i've even told you about that that you we have. 
I have, have told. Oh, okay, good, good, good. You have told. Wanted, me, so let's. let's... But <laughs> the whole uh, the whole podcast announcement is now out there for that. Yeah. Um. At least giving my candid and truthful application use of Ludex, especially when relevant, because we're talking about eBay uploading right now. There yeah. are times where I have no idea where a card is from my knowledge gap is especially bad in like 90s to 2000s and just being able to like instantly get a year or a set sometimes there's you know some wacky aspects that are a little bit incorrect like the parallel information is sometimes wrong but it can at least id the year and the set name and that's a big step at least for me rather than go looking at the back of the card looking at the copyright date typing that year in, typing that player in and then typing the card number in and then maybe finding another listing that has enough of the identifiable terms that I need. So yeah. Ludox has been good. Shout out that. I love that you have applications for it. There will soon be some integrations with eBay too for like members that pay a little bit. You're going to be able to like quickly list stuff from Ludox to eBay, which will be pretty cool. We have a lot of cool stuff that we've been working on. Something but that I a- should have used Ludox for this weekend. I had a, I was buying some cards this weekend. I was buying like a big, you know, two row or three row box and it was all 90s basketball and they were all stickered at like five to ten dollars each and that's just a black hole of my information i'm like if you give me like 2010s baseball i will be able to like assert whether that's a two to three dollar card or a five dollar card or maybe a little bit higher without really having to check but 90s basketball late 90s basketball non-rookie cards some inserts i'm not completely had no idea what i was looking at I was able to buy them at a dollar a card and I didn't just out of a testament of, well, if they're actually $3 cards and not $5 cards, I am screwed because yeah. just see the margins and fees, but that would have been a good application for Udex. Um, crazy sale of the week that I'm proud of that I think is just interesting. I found an AJ green blue scope out of 99 from 2018 prism in a value box it was stickered at $1. I probably got it at about $0.70, cents, listed it on eBay. AJ Green has not played football in how long? He's played a little recently, but how long? He's been yeah. a little bit more relevant on the Bengals. Instantly sold for $7.49. That's a nice little lemonade that I can get at the gas station, all on AJ Green. That's hype. I also, in the spirit of selling, I also am putting together something this week or this weekend that – you, I know you've never done as a seller and it's something that was like a new experience for me, which was I put together a submission for ComC. So I'm going to send 167 cards to ComC just to just kind of as a, let's see what happens with it. These are cards that I probably would never get around to listing on eBay um, just because I don't do like eBay PWE like you do at volume or anything. So I was like, whatever, let's try this out. I know that there's a, some listeners of the pod who are big fans of com C selling. And I've recently started dabbling with buying. And I talked about that a little bit on previous episodes, but I was like, you know what? I need to clear some space in my apartment. I'm going to send off a bunch of these like parallels, numbered stuff. My theories on my submission were like anything five to 15, $20 that is like a cool parallel or a numbered card of a star or like a rookie of a guy that could at some point pop off. And like, it'd be nice to have that listed at five bucks on com C when he does pop off so that I could get that money instead of having to like play, um, be reactive to it. instead of trying to be a little proactive with that. I think 
that's a thought a, like an economic theory i've been thinking about a little bit more with cards which is like the person who wins is often the person who has the card listed when the big moment happens and not the person who lists their card after the big moment happens you know what i mean max i think the biggest aspect is yeah i guess having the item listed and ready to move is good because when a player gets hot it's not about the prices rising it's about liquidity being higher and speculation being uh yielded and being ready to be harvested and but the big problem with people listing after the big thing happens is that they want above the market price which is fine everyone's entitled to list at whatever they desire but you have to recognize that most items were being listed and not moving at a certain price now those are being bought. Now maybe the market's 10 to 20% higher. I'm using an arbitrary number, of course. And then some people want 10 to 20% higher on the 10 to 20% higher that's already selling. So it's really being um, dollar foolish and not being penny wise. And Do you have any thoughts on ComC selling that real quick? I know you've never done it, but yeah, I have your lots initial of reaction? On, I have lots of thoughts on ComC and that I'm a hater and that I don't like it. Some people love it. I think when you are selling cards, you have cards that are big enough to where it wouldn't make sense to move them to Com C. And there are cards that are small enough to not sell at all. The cards that aren't smart that are small enough to not sell at all don't suddenly get sold at Com C. You have to be very particular about what item you want, both because you could just be having it sitting at Comsi and because you're fronting the 25 cent per card ingestion. 50, 50, 50 cent 50 per card. 50 cent ingestion per card. But all right, can I do a counter argument to that? Which is counter. I'm sending cards that I think personally are like collectible cards. So that like- What like is your team, dollar range that you're sending out? Like three to 15, $20. And the reason yeah. why I'm okay sending cards as low as $3 is because these are cards that I literally probably would never liquidate in any capacity without sending. I think $3 is actually the perfect valuation unless you're yeah. stack selling on Twitter or doing a big bulk liquidation deal where you're not going to get the full value of the item. I think $3 and maybe sub $5 is if you if it's a $3 card that's legitimately $3 and can sell $3. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably where you're maximizing your dollar. I'm also impatient and that I recognize that if you don't have a new product release, ComC is going to take a while in order to make sure your item is ingested and then ready to sell. For items that are 5 to $15, give or take, I just don't want to be giving it to ComC. I don't want to be having slightly higher fees and giving it to a smaller audience. Yeah, I'd rather just I... list it myself, not have to wait, and also have the card at my disposal to do whatever I want. I don't have it at the mercy of someone else's possession. Yeah, that's fair. I also, another ad, like thought process behind me sending cards into ComC is that I kind of just want to have some mess around on ComC money for myself. So it's like, all right, I'm going to pay 80 bucks to get these cards ingested into ComC. I might get, let's throw out a number, like $500 in ComC credit out of these cards that's not necessarily five hundred profit dollars or whatever, even minus whatever the. That's just five hundred dollars back. Yeah, that's just money that is in ComC that then I can spend on ComC cards. So it's not like I'm taking that money out of ComC and then like taking that as a profit or whatever. I think if you are someone who's selling cards to make money, it would be way more of a process to send cards to ComC, 
get sell those cards, have your Com C money accumulate, and then have to take that money out of Com C where you get all the you know everything. I think that whole process is different than the process I'm going through of like sending cards to Com C, hopefully hoping that those cards sell at Com C, then using that credit back into Com C as what opposed do, to taking it out. You know, what I do think is very smart that I know one person who does this who I know in person, I don't know them in social media, but they will send their items to Com C. They will sell most of it on Com C. They will buy a card on Com C so that they are not getting, and because you're being paid in Com C credits, you're not being paid in dollars unless you want to be paid in dollars. You buy the item on Com C because I believe, I don't know the fees at the top of my head, but I know you get a 10% cut. You got a 5% consignment cut that goes to comp c and then you get a 10 percent cash cut if you transfer it to cash plus any other goods and services fees but i think you know in essence it's 15 percent, but it's five percent if you get that back set as an item and you know let's say you spend all your comp c credits on a high-end card and then you get that shipped back to you you're really getting 95 percent of your completed sale and then if you sell it offline another wink nod you're not getting a 1099 from eBay and PayPal and you're able to be more sleuthy in yeah. how you're doing your cards. I don't do that. I, I had that, that thought, dude. I had but, that thought when I was but, looking at it. I was like, that also, would be like, a good way of doing it. But also full disclosure, like let's say you don't even sell the card. Let's say you're able to flip your comp C credit into a 1952 mantle. You're being paid in comp C credit. That's not reportable income to the IRS. You're getting your 52 mantle. That's, you only get are supposed to pay tax on it once you sell it and you realize any gain that you had on it. So yeah. even if you're just saying dropping the buying the big car just to sell and then report your taxes as you should, not financial advice, even if you're just consolidating it into a bigger card, not having any tax implications from all the buys and the sells that you've had on Comp C because it's being Comp C credit instead of cash is important. And it's not cash until you convert it to cash. Yeah, I think... You brought up a lot of good nuances in Com C that I was having kind of without a good time, a good without it like a good way of expressing those thoughts. But I, I'm glad you brought those points up because the Com C credit loophole is a big loophole and one that I've been thinking about because I'm in the essence like going to be consolidating 167 cards into like maybe 10 to 20 cards. And that's sort of like a trade and the Com C credit allows me to even make it more of a trade in my head because I don't even have to worry about, oh, I sold all these cards on eBay and I bought yeah. this other card. The only thing is making sure rent. that you send in cards that sell and don't go to the negative because it's not like you will get everything to sell. No, no, no. And that, yeah, that's another thing is like, I definitely sent a lot of cards that I'm like, all right, these will probably sell during spring training. Like I'm not sending cards that I would be like, oh, I wish these were listed right now because I know it's going to take a few months to get these all up there and whatever. But I was impressed that ComC's whole process is just, hey, how many cards are you sending us? Cool. That's like, what? what's the general value of them? Cool. That's it. Like, I don't have to like type in 167 different cards. So that that's a nice process. And I'm excited to see. I'll keep updating the listeners as it goes on. See what Please other update about the, the timetable between when you send out the cards and when they are uploaded. Because again, yeah. part of my apprehension about Com C has been the horror stories of them taking eons to ship their items, as well as them taking several weeks to upload them if they're not a new release. Speaking yeah. of updates, small update on my end, I sent the LeBron Fleer 20, 2003 Fleer Focus 
printing plate to PSA along with the 2012 Mike Trout printing plate to PSA. I sent them both. Um, I had a research and identification hold on my account for like a week. I then spoke to a gentleman on the phone. I, my intention was to get them authenticated and then just get them as an authentic grade. But I think one of the nuances is that because they're printing plates, I can't just by default have them listed as authentic and that I might be subjected to just getting a numerical grade on the plate if they deem it as authentic. So it's a two-part process. It's they have to authenticate that the plate is legit and then they also don't listen to numerical grades, but I, then they might grade the plate itself. And part of why I had a hold on my account was, well, one, they had to disregard that my preference would be listened to, which I'm like, okay, fine. Don't listen to my sticky note on the printing plates. But the process is different uh, if you have a sticker on the back of the printing plate or not. Like the trout has a, on the back of the printing plate, like most house printing plates, it says, congratulations, you just won a one-of-one printing plate from 2012 top series one and that sticker is on the back but on the 2003 lebron printing plate there is no sticker or identification on the back part of why i sent it out was to confirm to psa that it is a legitimate item because there's nothing indicating from fleer that it is a fleer printing plate otherwise that it just looks like a fleer printing plate and there's nothing to counterfeit on it that i'm assuming it's not counterfeit but uh i my other orders are going a little bit quicker my bulk orders in qa1 that i sent at the same time at the beginning of the month so hopefully we find out in maybe three to four weeks hopefully three weeks that's my guess that's my unofficial guess if a the plates are authentic trout should be authentic lebron question marks and if they get a numerical grade i'm excited to hear the update on that so stay tuned for a future episode for that but i will back- say i looked at other printing plates and other printing plates were just labeled as authentic from tops yeah. so i'm not overly concerned about that but also confused yeah i'm confused too we'll follow up with this on next week but max it's, it's, the matrix. Time, for, it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the week which is what are your recent ebay buys and what what's up with your recent buys I, this is going to be a shocker. I don't think I've had any new eBay buys since last episode, which I'm a little bit ashamed of. Um, some cool buys that wow. I have had offline. Um, I bought second-year gold optics of Desmond Bain and Sadiq Bay. The Sadiq Bay is a gold circles. Why are you shaking your head? You're the king because of second-year. Yeah, but basketball, it's way different. Oh, Okay. Well, they're so gold. I don't know why, but it is. It is way different. It is way different. I feel like part of it is like the post-COVID thinking of, oh, Lucas Prisms are so expensive. I'm going to buy Luka Doncic's second-year Prisms, and then I'm going to be a billionaire. When everyone at the – any most people would be able to recognize, that's not a very good idea. But – No, yeah. One exception for second years. It was $50 for the true gold. Desmond Bain and okay. 30 bucks for the Sadiq Bay. Very low cost That's items. Fine. They're true golds. Yeah, I'm not breaking the bank. Anyway, what do you, I'll let you, you have the floor. Oh, I was just going to say, my only exception for second year basketball is Steph Curry because he, you can tell second year cards or he's wearing the old jersey. So he wore just the old Warriors jersey just in his rookie year. So any card where he's wearing the old jersey, you know it's from like a photo from his rookie year. So I allow those. Second, I didn't know how little he paid for those cards. So I think buying 
I think it goes back to kind of your thought process on like veteran trout parallels way back. Remember, you're like, those are kind of undervalued. You, you were looking at LeBron and that sort of thing. And I do think if you do believe in a guy like Desmond Bain, you believe in him and you're like, all right, he's going to be a star paying 30 bucks for a true gold optic second year is a good buy. And I think it, most people would agree with you on that. Um, gold circles yeah. a little questionable, but gold, I think it just goes back gold, to basketball. Gold circles was 30. The true was 50. So oh, it was 50, a little bit yeah. Still, it's still yeah, fine. The, though, true, those, the true was more expensive. Those would be good cards to send to Comsi. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am. Well, I'm, I'm throwing the Sadiq Bay in a bulk PSA order. If it tends cool, then it's just like yeah. to add a little bit more of a premium to it. But I, it is very different for basketball and football than it is baseball. We look at the collectability of like Trout Gold. Ref- uh, okay, fine. Anyone else besides Trout? Anyone's Gold Refractors? Anyone's Harper. Harper is a good one. Yeah, anyone's black flagship parallels, Harpers, and the collectability behind them in that some of them are able to have – be able to be collectible for non-first-year cards when the print run is 50 or 70 or in some of the older Chrome updates, 250 for the gold update cards and yeah. you know, for black refractors, 100. But when we're looking at basketball and we're looking at other veteran-level cards, well, the only parallel... I mean, gold is the color of the hobby, but the only parallel that really has any lasting effect is the gold out of tens. Like if you're getting any other parallel, even if it's out of 25 or 15, the vet card collectability is almost non-existent. But I think golds are safe out of 10 in a similar way that out of 50s and out of 67, 68, 69s are for baseball. Yeah. I think this this goes back way to something we talked way back about, which is like the, no one is collecting full print runs of like lebron optic golds and if they are you know it's kind of an unattainable i think i think some for are. anyone no no people are all right, all right people are doing that i'm not people yeah. are doing that but not to the extent they are in baseball where like i see a lot of guys who do collecting projects that are like here's all the flagship golds of my boy matt's cards who does all the david wright cards he has like all the david wright golds he has all the pete alonzo golds it's like the, that's a project that I see people doing more in baseball than I do in basketball. Like I don't see a ton of people doing like I have all the Giannis Prism Silvers from every year or whatever, you know. Like or I, I have I, all the Knicks Silver Prism rookies. Yeah, well, I see it. So, all right, anecdotally, yes, you see it. No, I'm like, poking, I'm poking fun. No, I'm saying I haven't seen it. I'm saying yeah. that I think outside of players where it's extremely collected, like. Kobe and LeBron. Yeah. You have an example for me. No, but I'm saying like people do do it. But like Kevin Durant is, I'm not going to say just as talented. Kevin Durant is a very, very, very good, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, not a sports analysis podcast. But Kevin Durant has almost no collectability. Yeah. And also investing people don't like him as well because not for sports analysis reasons. But we can look at, there's two aspects of the argument. We can say, well, one, the cards are out of 10 and not out of 50 or higher. There is inherently less copies to collect and less people will think about collecting them. But on the other side, the barrier to entry is also much higher. And yeah. my solution is that I have a Steph Curry gold prisms draft picks out of 10 that isn't very valuable relative to the actual prism goals, but it's still a gold prism out of 10. 
and yeah. that fills that desire of saying, yeah, I have a, I have a Steph Curry gold prism. I'm very notable. Yeah, I think in general, my theory is basketball. People care a lot more about the ultra rare stuff than in baseball. Baseball, there's a lot of contentness with like, oh, this is a gold out of 50. There's 50 of them. It's a, that is significantly less rare than the optic golds or like the fact that we talked way back about why logo man baseball cards aren't as like crazy, don't hold as crazy of a premium as basketball logo mans do. And I think that that's the difference between the markets. Like the, the rare, the ultra rarity is valued at that ultra premium in basketball a lot more than in baseball. But Max, I only had one buy this week. Well, I, I talked about my pools gold rookie cup last week i think but i don't know i just posted on instagram my ichiro and my pools gold gold cups next to each other that fired me up as a collector for a sec but i just bought a matt kane out of 55 black parallel rookie card i know matt kane is off your radar but he did throw no, a perfect is, game. I, I know my matt kane i respect yeah, he's matt a legend kane. and i got it for under 50 bucks shipped and I am excited to pair it up with my Mad Bum Black rookie flagship yeah, the, rookie. And the beauty uh, of it's a pretty big being, card. The beauty of not being a Yankee fan, where every rookie card is obscenely expensive. Yeah, and for a guy that threw a perfect game, Giants legend. No, the fact Mac that King's I could get cool. that card under fifty bucks. Are you surprised that that's that cheap, Max? Or you think that's a fair price? I think, given his career accomplishments, that card is underpriced. But given that it's Matt Kane. Yeah. that makes sense that it's under 50. Like if you, I think like as like a baseball enjoyer to the right buyer, that's probably in the 50 to hundred dollar range. But I don't think there's that many people actively collecting Matt Cain. If anything, there's more yeah. Tim let's come buyers just because he's way more of a talked about player than Matt Cain who kind of just was more in and out. And also had a very you know what's bad crazy? decline. What's crazy? Yeah. Bad decline. Tim Linscombe rookies. Too. Do you know about just a real quick weird collecting thing about Tim Linscombe rookies? His rookie is in 2007 Tops Update. 2007 mm-hmm. Tops Update is has the same set structure as like 2009 Tops Basketball, where the chromes are inserts in paper. Is that the and same with I believe that's the same with 2008 Update, right? I, I'm not sure. Well, 2008 Update has Scherzer and Kershaw. And they are their chrome cards are very rare. Do they have chrome? They do. And is they there a chrome Kershaw? All right, that's there, cool. there's a chrome Kershaw. Them. They're extremely rare. Yeah. So the, that's my weird anecdote of the week is the fact that Linscombe. If you see a Tim Linscombe tops chrome rookie card, that's numbered no matter what because that's just how the set was set up. But those are my buys of the week, Max. This was fun. Good episode. Good to get back to just us for a sec and link up on our recent theories on selling and what we're up to. And I think people will love it next week. Tease. If you have any thoughts on this, please DM me and Max this week. We are going to be talking about at some point next week, a top 10 color match rookies of all time, any sport. Um, This was inspired by seeing someone pull a father's day blue Bobby Witt from update and it was probably one of the sweetest looking baby blue on the baby blue jersey color matches i've ever seen so i sent that to max kind of inspired this thought process so if you have any ideas or suggestions for ones we should bring up 
this would be specific player with set and parallel. So there's three aspects to it. Player, set, parallel. Hit us up with any uh, any ideas for that. Max, do you have any parting thoughts? I am going to use my brain to think big. Yes, think big, think long-term, think cards. We'll see you guys next week for episode 29.